Welcome to an inspirational message recorded live at Little Falls Christian Center. What a wonderful declaration it is to make that we can say that we are your children, that I am a child of God. And Father, we are in your house. We are your children and we're wanting you to come and bless us, Lord, with that which you have prepared for us in this evening. So Father, may we lift up the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. May your word become revelation and illumination to us. May your spirit do as he pleases because he's God and he reigns for eternity. We humble ourselves before you and we say, come Holy Spirit, come, have your way. And may Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior be lifted up high. We ask this in the name of God, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we all say, Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Ben. Yes, let's give God a praise offering. Amen. Amen. Now, when we praise God and when we give God a praise offering, we must never hold back. We must never be shy. A part of that will probably be discussed tonight, but we must never be shy. Be ready to speak. This is what they call, for those who've been to Jerusalem, this is what they call the, 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 the Wailing Wall. The Jews in Israel, and many pilgrims and visitors that visit Israel, go to this particular place. It's cordoned off in two sections because the men and the women, they pray in separate places. And I was thinking, the amount of prayers that have gone to that place. In one of the visits that I went to Jerusalem, at the end of that day, Pastor Harold asked the group of us, just certain people, what was your most memorable part of this day? And this one lady, I've always rem remembered it since, and she's not even in our church. She said this, I went to the Wailing Wall and I saw there's never a Jew not praying at this Wailing Wall. And her words were this, in continuation, if only we as Christians could be as devoted in like, for instance, going to a home cell, going to church, because there's always someone praying there. The amount of words that must have been spoken there and that is continuing to go up to the throne of God when you go there and you see in all these walls, there are little papers and these are prayer requests that people have completed and people stand there by the, by the by, in, in Hebrew, they call it the kotel. The people stand there and they pray and they're speaking. We all love talking. We all love to speak. We all have got an opinion we want to share. We all have to, something that we want to say out there. An interesting fact is that the human being, man and woman, on average, speak about 16,000 words per day. Now, I know some of you may frown at this and you would think, and I'm not going to put my foot into this one, but you may think, how is this possible? Because we show one of the two genders speak more than the other. But these are facts that I've researched, so I'm just speaking what they're saying. However, however, it is said that men interrupt women three times as often. And once again, you can make your own assumption there. 
Now, I see some of the husbands and wives are moving a bit further away from one another. Please, please. Since the last 10 years, it has been calculated that on an average day when we speak, 60% of the time that we speak is about ourselves. And it was found that when we speak, our effective means of speaking and communication depends on these three things. Number one, the words that we speak only accounts for 7%. The words that we speak. Our body language contributes 55% of how we speak and how people understand and interpret what we say. And 38% is how you bring that message across. And I guess I suppose it's true what they say then, that it's not what you say, it's how you say it. But we all have got something to say, and we all love talking and speaking. But we don't just talk here on the earth. There's also speaking and talking going on in the heavens. And I want you to go to the book of Revelations with me. Revelations chapter 4. And I'm going to read a few verses there. This is like just the appetizer for this evening. Revelations 4, verse 8 to 11. And I'm reading for us out of the New King James. It says there, verse 8 of Revelation 4. The four living creatures, each having six wings. They were full of eyes around and within. And they do not rest day or night, saying, so they are speaking day and night. What is it that they are saying? Let's read further. They say, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and is to come. Verse 9. And whenever these living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, they're not alone, then 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before his throne. And they say, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they exist and they were created. So they speaking and talking going on in the heavens. And these Four creatures and these 24 elders, they speak day and night. And you may think, well, why do they say the same thing over and over? Is there a risk of monotony here? Listen to why they are doing this. Because they say in verse 8, Holy, holy, holy is Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. Every single time that God reveals something of him, which is unique, which is different, this is what they say. There's no end to who God is. The layers of who he is 
is depicted in this. Because he who was of all the things that were done in, done in the past, he who is, all the things that are presently happening all over the world, they bow down at every single new thing. They do this. And of all the things that are coming, they are never going to stop doing this because there's no end to our God. They will say this for eternity. But just as the angels speak in the heavens, so God requires us to speak here on the earth. God wants us to talk. He wants us to speak. And He wants us to talk about Him. And we have to qualify for ourselves how much of our talking and speaking revolves around God. And I want us now to go to the foundational text for this evening, and it's found in the book of 1 Peter 3. And we're going to read there from verse 13. So 1 Peter 3, and we're going to read there from verse 13. Verse 13, And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed." For it is better that if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Verse 15 is the verse that I want to talk about tonight. And that verse we have to divide up in three because in three different ways God helps us here. He gives us guidance here. So verse 15, we start with this. God says this, but you must sanctify the Lord in your hearts because then he says, Always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. And you do that with meekness and with fear. Here is the thing. All of us are asked by God to give a defense of the hope that is in us. All of us have got a hope. Because why are you holding on to Christ? Why are you holding on to that thing that you believe that is going to come as a breakthrough or the change that will come in your season? There is a hope that you are holding on to. And we need to defend that. God says we must, when it is asked of us, we must defend that. God wants us to talk. And most times we make the error and we, and, and we mess it all up because we don't prescribe to the condition that God sets out here. He says here, sanctify God in your heart. You can't sanctify God because God's already holy. Sanctification means set aside being holy. But he says we must make God holy in our hearts. And that means if I take what the Greek says here, it says you must speak from holiness about holiness. In other words, God must be so embedded in your heart that His presence, His holiness is so in you that when you speak, you speak as if God speaks. This is what God says that we must do. We have to prepare ourselves for that. Then only can we go, and now it says, Always be ready 
This word in Greek means that it's like somebody who's busy with fitness. You are busy training. You are staying fit. You have to stay fit. Because if you're not going to stay fit and do something, you're going to become unfit. So for us as Christians, we have to stay fit. We have to be ready. We have to be ready in season and out of season. So that when somebody asks us, why is it that you believe that you believe? Why is it that you believe in Christ? That we stand ready to give that defense of what it is that we believe in. It says here, you have to be prepared to answer when somebody asks you the question. And we get to the next session, and it says there, you must give a defense to everyone who asks. This word defense in the Hebrew means this. It's the word apologia. And from there we get the word apologies. And as in the Christian circles, they talk about the apologetics of Christianity. In other words, we have to defend it. But you see, we have looked at the word apologize, and we think we have to apologize for our faith. It is exactly the opposite. What it means here is not that. It means from the apologies, it's like we have to. In the context here, what the Greek explains is this. God wants us to treat this in such a way that it is as if we stand before a judge and we present the facts of the truth that is in us, why we believe what we believe. No lawyer goes to a court case without being prepared. We have to be prepared when that happens. Therefore, we must be ready. How do we get ready in that? That is, we find ourselves in the Word of God. We cannot be out there. And listen, you may think, for instance, this is not for me. I'm not going to be this person. God says here, every Christian, He says, every Christian must be ready. Always being ready because you are going to be asked at some point in time to give a defense of the hope that is in you. The world out there needs to hear that, that hope that is in you. And you are going to have to define it to them. You must be prepared to, to, to tell them what it is that you believe in. To formulate that idea of those ideas of who you believe God is. The Word says we are going to do this. God wants us to do this. We must defend our faith when it is asked for. Now you may ask the question, why would God want us to go and defend our faith? And defend is not so that we must justify it. Yes, that's part of it. But the whole process here or the whole uh, significance of this is we must be able to tell someone if they ask. The whole question about why would God want us to do this? Because it works. For 2,000 years, this is what Christianity has been doing. We have been telling the world who Christ is. The proof is there. The history is there. Lives have been saved. It works. And the world needs it. And you are the person who is needed so that this word can go out and that you can share that hope that is in you. I want to ask that they bring this one particular slide up for me. I want to share something because we have become quite, I would say, no, let me not say that word. Let me, let me use a softer word. We are the beneficiaries of what the people did many, many years ago. And today Christianity looks very different from 2,000 years ago. You see, what was the defense and the reason of the facts presented why the apostles and the Christians in the early days 
could give an account of who Christ is and they never veered away from it because their persecution was so severe. We have never tasted anything like that. We have it soft today. Here you see a picture. This is a picture of the Colosseum in Rome. This is a, obviously a painting of it. I was fortunately enough to be in, in, in that place at some point in my life. What happened at the time was an evil empire or an emperor by the name of Nero ascended to the throne and he declared a statewide law that Christianity is banned and those who refuse it shall die. There's no alternative, you will die. So the Christians of that time had to renounce their faith when they were asked. They had to speak and present the facts. They were given an opportunity to renounce it, but they didn't. And if they didn't do it, this was one of the punishments that they would receive. The emperor called all the citizens of Rome and for their entertainment, he would have them all put in the Colosseum in the middle. And they would starve animals, import these animals from various places, lion, bear, leopards, and they would starve them. Then they would send these animals loose and the Christians would stand there and they would have no defense. They suffered no pleasant death. This is what their testimony was at the time. This was their defense. And in addition to this, this was not the only way that, that, that Christians at the time were persecuted and how they died. You see in the behind there, you see the people on the poles there that were elevated on the poles. They were dipped in tar and were set alight being alive at the spectacle of everyone else. And especially at night, this happened so that they could be torches for the, for the people to see where to walk. This was their defense. They never backed down. We have it easy today. What is happening? Thank you, you can remove that picture for me. Thank you. What is happening with Christianity today? What is being said of Christianity today? Is there still persecution out there? Well, you can go to a particular website which is called, let me just get my information correct here, the World Watch List. Now just statistics from last year says that every single day, 13 Christians are murdered. Not in a car crash, not because they were sick, but because of their faith. 13 per day. 12 churches or buildings where people gather together in community are attacked every single day. They're standing their ground because they're defending their faith and the hope that is in them. 309 million Christians worldwide live in what they classify them as very high or extreme levels of persecution. 309 million people wake up every single day knowing that today may be my last day because I'm standing for my faith. And you know in what continent Christians are mostly persecuted in? Right here in Africa. Home soil for us. 19 countries in Africa persecute Christians. It's more than Asia, more than the Middle East. And the predominant move to persecute Christians, 34 of those nations are all of one faith, the Islam faith. Christianity doesn't go out and kill people. We convert them. 
But you see what's happening in the church out there in the world or to the Christians out there. Bring it home. Bring it to the church. Is the church being persecuted today? We have got it easy. We can come whenever we want. We can watch live stream if we need to be. But I tell you today, this is for your knowledge and for the purpose of learning how the enemy operates. Satan has come for the church, but he's come in a different way. He's not saying to the world, let's stop Christianity. He's saying, well, let them have what they want to have, but let's add to it. Let's bring in human rights. Let's bring in the social manner. Let's take the moral values that are out there and we just broaden it so that it's all inclusive. And we can start compromising on that. And three areas are attacked in the church today. Number one is marriage. Because out of marriage, everything else stems from that. It necessarily includes covenant, which Satan hates. And out of that is how, how do you um, sexually and morally conduct yourself? There's only one way, which is defined by God in His Word. But through the work of the devil, every other means of sexual mannerism and conduct is included. The whole purpose of that is, is to destroy marriage as the way God defines it because it's the only relationship we still have today that speaks of covenant. Covenant means we are one with God and He brings Himself, all of Him, to that relationship. And all He asks is that we are obedient to that and, and, and honor Him by doing as His Word says. The second thing is they come for the church, how we conduct our church services. Because it is not efficient or sufficient anymore just to preach the Word of God. That's not good enough because people must now come for an experience. We must do it different with how the church building look. We must do it different how the music is because there must be entertainment. We must cater for all the other things because the Word of God is slowly being diluted so that all these other things become the experience that we have. That's the work of the enemy. I'm just feeding you that. The last part is this. Let's redefine what the holy day, the Sunday is. We don't take it away from Christians. We say, let them go. This is not the enemies. They're saying, let's go. They can go to, to, to the church on a Sunday, but we will keep them busy on a Sunday. We will have them going church, but we will let them play sports. We will let them go and watch movies. We will let them work. We will open up the entertainment out there for them to go because they will be tired where we're supposed to rest on the Sunday, but they will be tired. And over time, we will come to the fact that it is too difficult to get up early in the morning because we're tired, but we will get to all the other things because we can enjoy many of them those in the comfort of our homes. Those three areas the enemy has attacked. The Christian, the body of Christ, is silent. We are silent concerning these things. We are not sharing what our testimony is to the world out there. Because the hope that is in us is being suppressed. Right in the end, God says this in this particular verse. He says, we must do this with meekness and with fear. Meekness means gentleness, kindness. We do it in love. This is how we share the message us there. We must do it in this way. Mostly we fail at this because we want to convince others about our faith by pointing out in them what's wrong with theirs. It's not how you go about this. God says we must do it in love and in meekness. This means I must show Christ to them. We're we, we concerned about the messenger, but it's about the message. 
And when God says he must do it in fear, it is in reverence for him, but in respect for mankind. The problem is we fear God too little because we fear man too much. None of us have been in a place where we have not been a little ashamed of and be uncertain about sharing the gospel. We call it sharing the gospel, but it's God says you must defend Christianity. We must tell them about Christianity. What is it that we can stand on in our faith that makes us so bold? I have to define it for myself as you have to do it for yourself. Because here is the thing. If I, can def if I can't define it for myself, why it is that I believe in Christ, why I believe in what I believe. If I can't convince myself, how am I going to convince anyone else out there? We only learn this through God's Word. If God's Word is not in us, doesn't become part of us, we are never going to be able to do this. And we're going to stand before God one day and we will know we haven't spoken enough about Christ. You see, we are so concerned what others may think and what may happen in a situation. But Christ already went before us and said to us, in that day when you stand there, you will not speak. The Holy Spirit will speak through you. But if you don't know the Holy Spirit, you will not be able to tell the world out there. It should be the easiest thing for us to show the world because it works. For 2,000 years, they've done this. There's proof that it works. What is it that we stand our foundation on as Christians? There's got to be proof. We've got to be able to provide proof. Number one, archaeologically, all the places that's mentioned in the Word of God is proven. The cities, they are there. Jerusalem, which is seen, it's there. In other words, it's got to be true. That which is written, the manuscripts, which is written in this Word, there's proof of that. The Vatican vault, the library there, the Qumran cave scrolls that were discovered, other supporting manuscripts, it's there. The prophecies that have been spoken in this word, they've come true. It's proof that it is truth. There's 40 authors and more who wrote this, this precious book. No other faith or religion can boast in that. They base it on one person's account. Not even the laws of this world except one person's witnessing. We've got 40 and more. That's what we have available to us. And I want to give you something, and they can put up the next slide for me. I want to give you something to strengthen you, why you can work in this, why this will work. We call this the, the, the Romans wrote to salvation. And I just want to refer to these verses quickly because just in one book, in the book of Romans, and I'm not going to go through all the verses, what it essentially says, all these verses, it says there, we have all sinned, and we are going to die. And there's hope for us. And someone came whose name is Jesus Christ. But if we confess him and believe in him, we are going to live. There's a future for us in him. That is what we have. This is what all these verses in one particular book says. No one is righteous. We all have sinned and fall short from the glory of God. We entered into this world and we are going to die. Because the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. But we demonstrate, God demonstrated His love toward us, and that whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then the one we all know so well, but if you confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord and that God the Father had raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then 10, 13, 
Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You are that person that God is looking at to go out and defend Christianity because there's a hope in you that will give you that boldness to share it out there. This is what God wants from us. Not to be afraid, not to be ashamed, but to be bold for that. And I'm closing with these three scriptures. So coming to a close, let me rather put it that way. Romans 10, 11 says this, Whoever believes on him who is God will not be put to shame. Isaiah 49, verse 23, the latter part of it. Then you will know that I am the Lord, for they shall not be ashamed who wait on me. Jeremiah 17, 7. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. And Luke 19, 40. I would hate for this to come to pass because this is not what God wants. But God says, even this, listen to me. Even if my followers were silenced, the very stones would break forth with praises. I don't want a stone to go out there and talk about my God. I want it to be me. I want to be that person, and I know you want to be the same person. I close off with this. For us as Christians, our belief lies in this, that there is hope in trials and tribulation. You've got proof. There's testimonies here, a plenty of people who have received breakthroughs. We have also hope in death. Because for us, death is not the end. It's just the beginning. And we have hope in the life hereafter. Because there is greatness and perfection and beauty in God that awaits us. We must be able to answer these four questions for us as Christians. One, why did our Lord Jesus, who is God, become man? Why was he born in the flesh? We have to be able to answer that. Number two, why did our Lord Jesus die on the cross? We must be able to answer that for ourselves. How are you going to convince someone else or help them? Number three, why was our Lord Jesus raised from the dead? And fourth, there's eternal life out there, according to what the Scripture says. How can we obtain that? We have to answer those four, four questions for ourselves, and then we'll be able to answer it to others as well. I close off with these things. We talk, we're talking about talking, what we speak. God wants us to go and speak this, to go and testify, go and be a witness. In other words, go and defend Christianity out there. Listen to what some of the people have said. I don't know if you've heard of Voltaire, one of the French philosophers and historian, known to have criticized the Bible. What did he say about the Bible? The Bible, that is what fools have written, what imbeciles commend what rogues teach, and young children are made to learn by heart. This is what he was set on believing. Joan Crawford, an American actress, wrote this. Well, it's not wrote this. This was recorded. When she was dying, her housekeeper was there, and she wanted to pray for her, and she said to her housekeeper, don't you dare ask God to help me. 
It's just what people are saying out there. An American actress and a comedian, I'm not going to give her name. I actually feel just too embarrassed to mention her name. But recently she won an award. Listen to what her words were. A lot of people come up here and thank Jesus for this award. And I want you to know that no one had less to do with this award than Jesus. This award is my God now. A very famous actor, and the woman swoon over this particular gentleman. He says this, I don't believe in heaven and hell. I don't know if I believe in God. All I know is that as an individual, I won't allow this life, the only thing that I know exists, I won't allow it to be wasted. An atheist was lying on his deathbed, and he had a friend who was a Christian. Never believed what this friend of his told him, but he respected him. And his words were, because this is his testimony. Because I listened to it. It's on YouTube. He said that I respected this Christian because he's the only person that I know as a Christian who went and did what he said. He lived it. And he said, lying on his deathbed, in the hospital, being an atheist, he said, I couldn't help but thinking, what if he was right? What if there is life, there is death and there is hell? What if that was true? And he said, this cold came upon him. And he asked the hospital staff to go and phone his friend. He wanted his Christian friend to come be with him, to come just be with him. And they couldn't get hold of his Christian friend. He was, he was, he was not reachable. He said, that night... He had the most horrific night of his life. He encountered darkness like never before. Terror like he has never experienced in his life. Whatever his mind was thinking about, it was just utter darkness. He said his legs, his legs were getting cold and moved from the bottom upward through his whole body. And he had to ask this question, can I be saved? In his mind he asked, but what does save mean? But all these years, his friend, the Christian, spoke to him about this. And, he, and his words of this, this atheist, he says, I think that all atheists ask that question when their light starts dimming. The next morning they got a hold of this friend and he came and he asked him, how bad is it? And the Christian friend told him, the doctor says, you've got no time to live. It's over for you. Came and he prayed for him. The man got healed. Man got healed because he came to the truth and the knowledge of who Christ is. These people, and many of them, believe me, I've read quite a few of the things that some of the elite in this world, the entertainment industry, what they say about the kingdom of God and Christ. I'm not angry at them. I feel so sorry for them because they just don't know the truth. Many of them have been raised in Christian homes, so they've been hurt by Christians. And I wish they can all come here so they could have an audience with true Christianity so that they may encounter the love and the truth of who Christ really is. Because they only lost because they don't know the truth. That is why you and I need to go and speak out there and be that person out there in this world because they need to hear you. Those people who are sitting in places of hopelessness and who are lost. You and I, once we were there too. When you, when you tell them and share to them about that, you immediately make a connection with them. 
but we have to go out there. God says, we must first be sanctified by God in our hearts, and then we must go out and be ready so that we can be a, and give a defense of the hope that is in us. We cannot keep the hope in us for ourselves. It is for those out there to hear it. And we share that with meekness and with the fear of God so that their lives can be changed. Let's bow our heads, please. If you know tonight, if you like that atheist and your candle is coming to an end, the light is dimming and you have no certainty that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, you have got no clarity in your own heart that you are going to go to heaven, then I really want to pray for you tonight because nobody must leave here tonight with an uncertain heart. If that is you, I want to ask that you please just raise your hand for me. Please, if that is you, I'm not going to continue with this long because here is the thing. You either know or you don't know. If there's uncertainty in your heart, then that is you. You've got to have absolute certainty and clarity in your heart. If you've never made the confession that Jesus Christ is Lord of your life, if you have got things to make right with God because there's bitterness, resentment, and unforgiveness in your heart, then you must please raise your hand because God wants to restore you tonight and that you will not leave this building without so. Can you please raise your hand for me if that is you? I'm going to ask this only once because I have... I'm of the absolute belief that you either know or you don't know. In God's word, thank you, thank you, thank you. In God's word, there's no gray areas. It's black and it's white. You either know tonight when you leave here that yes, I'm going to heaven, or no, I don't. It's not uncertain. Uncertain means no, you're not going. And you cannot be unsure about this. You must be sure. So I've got, thank you. I'm going to anyone else raise your hand because we want to please pray for these people. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Can I ask those people who raised their hands, please just stand for me. Please just stand for me because you are so precious. Thank you. Please come to the front for me because you are VIP tonight. Amen. Wonderful. Amen. Thank you, my sister. Thank you for coming to the front. Young men, young men. And yes, another young girl. She's making sure that she's right with God. Amen. How beautiful this is. God's word says that the angels rejoice in heaven when this happens. You've made the angels smile in heaven. You've caused great rejoicing in the heavens tonight because of what you've done. All right. There's nothing that God cannot change for you. Young girl, you are so, so young. You should not carry the burdens of this life upon your shoulders. There's a place at the foot of the cross where Christ says, lay it down, lay it all down. And tonight's your night. You will lay it down because Christ will lead you and guide you in this. Can I ask that we all just raise our hands to the heavens and I ask you to do it for me as well. And I'm going to lead you in prayer. Just pray this after me. All right. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I come before you. I confess my sins. I ask for your forgiveness. And I receive it tonight by faith in Christ Jesus.
Lord Jesus, wash me tonight in your precious blood. Write my name in your book of life. Fill me tonight with your Holy Spirit. And I love you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Let's give God a praise offering for this as well. For more teachings like this and other material, please visit our website at www.littlefallsonline.com.